0: Fran, and this is Consent-Based Everything, a podcast about creating a culture of consent in our homes and beyond. Hello, today I talked to Aisha Cleland-Lang. She's a writer, a non-schooler, a mother of two, and she's currently doing a Master's in Indigenous Studies. I started off talking about what I termed Indigenous education, but then it kind of emerged that what I really meant was Indigenous ways of knowing. So we talk about that for a bit. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, we talk about consent, we talk about Western culture uh, as a monoculture, and we also, also talk about something called embodied relational learning, which is so fascinating. Uh, this is such a great conversation. I've had to edit it down to be a lot
1: shorter than it originally was, um, but I hope you enjoy it. First nice of all indigenous and indigeneity this this term is something that's fairly recent in the way that we use it so i would say like from the 1970s mm. um, we sort of use it as a blanket term for firstness um, for a certain way of relating to one another and to you know when you say location specific that actually gets to the heart of it um, um, so firstness in a place or being able to trace ancestry back to a certain place. Um, I think what we overlook in our sort of um, uh, focus on indigenous cultures is um, what we're counteracting, which is sort of the Euro Western patriarchal capitalist, like, right? Like this sort of way of doing things. Um, And really that's more, that's the monoculture, and that's the unified way, um, the sort of globalized, unified monocultural way of educating, of living, of being, of of relating, right? Um, that's the lumping. <laughs> and what we talk about as Indigenous cultures is really what is um, Indigenous culture. It's not one thing, of course, as you said, it's like different cultures, the different ways of doing things and different ways of living that we tend to lump together mostly because we don't know it and understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's no way to know and understand how every single culture sort of, you know relates to each other themselves and you know, whatever earth part of the earth they come from. Um, but I think um, what's the lumping together and what is the sort of blanketing of experience? Um, is that sort of Euro Western, you know, way of relating that Indigenous cultures, quote unquote, um, are counteracting. There's the element of um, Indigenous peoples sort of being over researched, especially in the fields of anthropology and and things like this, like being just completely excavated and exploited for their knowledges, but often in ways that you know what comes out of it. So lead off, right? What comes out of it is not quite what it is. Like you, you know, people are reading for themselves and being like, "Huh, that's actually not, not quite correct, or doesn't feel correct, or feels exploitative." And so, what is there for for evidence of what our ancestors did is often doesn't fit or is a little bit skewed. And what we do have access to is spiritual realms, and so that's where we would get sort of our our knowledges, you know, um, in black studies, there's this period in um, the 70s and 80s where so much, so many of our like sort of critical black feminist texts come out of this period. You know, this Toni Morrison, Maya Angelou, Alice Walker, you know, um, The Color Purple and and, um, sort of coining womanism and elucidating womanism. All of this comes out of period of intense spiritual um, inquiry, and um right so we're teaching now in universities we're we're banning those books also but we're teaching in universities feminist texts and um and and critical texts that come out of a period of folks going to africa and um exploring african traditional religions and um becoming versed in Ifa and Yoruba and all of these things, right? Like that's what it's coming out of. It's not coming out of these sort of like um, heavily researched um, and, and, and sort of evidence-based spaces. So this is like, for me at the foundations of almost all indigenous you know, ways of knowing, um, I guess we can call it education, um, um, ways of knowing the world and ways of knowing ourselves. Um, this is like really the basis. I don't even remember what your question was. But, <laughs> no, either, but this is really interesting. <laughs> right. But that's that's one of the things. And it's really different, I think, from, they're really different from each other, first of all, definitely, right? And very different from, um, very different from Western, Euro-Western sort of ways of knowing and and, yeah, of knowing who we are end of knowing what we know,
0: realize that actually maybe what I meant and you know is more just ways of living and like imparting knowledge, mm-hmm. transmission, mm-hmm. skills, knowledge, mm-hmm. experience, etc.,
1: tradition, yes. all that stuff, yes, opposed you know, to like yes. education in the way that we see it. In yeah, 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 right. Or in- now, remembering what you asked me, you asked me about the ways that they um learned from before, so that's that's one of them. Right, <laughs> that's yeah. one of them, or a part of like. Part of a, a, a network of ways of knowing. Um, um, of course, there's just like observation, there's um, there are accounts um, of anthropologists or just of you know first colonists who went and they were like, you know there's no separation. The kids are just, you know they're at at, at meetings with elders talking about war or hearing about war and there's just no like there's no children's space. There's everyone's space and everyone's there learning from learning at the feet of their, you know, of their elders and of their parents. Um, um, there's another huge one. And this goes, I think, to the heart of co- consent and coercion, because, you know, um, when Europeans decided, um, So especially in the case of the Maori. And I think this is from some of Linda Tuhiwai Smith's um, research on the development of Native schools. Mm-hmm. And she, um, and she, I think I read it in there, it might have been somewhere else, but she talked about um, colonists setting up um, these infant schools. Well, she, that wasn't her, that was somebody else. But she also talked about native schools um, and how Europeans were like, we have to find ways to get them to get their kids into school because they're happy for them to like learn new skills and learn how to, they're like, sure, mm-hmm. but we can't beat them the kids just want to run around the forest and they won't bring their kids to school if we beat them that's just not like what are we going to do how, how else will we co- coerce them how yeah. else will we compel them to get their kids in the schoolhouse because if we beat them like they have a, a serious problem with it like they want war <laughs> which is absolutely relatable to me <laughs> right? but to europeans at the time that was like they don't want us to beat the kids like how else are you supposed to get them to do stuff And so, you know, the culture of um, coercion um, had to be really built in a more sophisticated way because, and I imagine, I can imagine that that wasn't just the Maori. Um, It's just where my research is sort of focused in at the moment. Um, But I would imagine it's not just them that were like, no <laughs> we yeah. we don't mind if you teach them to read that's great you know they were like they were hungry for knowledge that's great yeah teach them whatever but you cannot like the physical coercion is not it mm-hmm. um, and I think I've read that a, a couple of times that there was even um, one little girl who had um, she ran away from school and a bunch of men went to look for her to find her to bring her back and somehow she ended up dead mm-hmm. and um, this caused like you know, and at the time it was like uh, the treaty was about to be signed between Maori and um, the crown. And there were at, there was uh, one activist who, please forgive me all because I don't remember his name, but there was one activist who was staunchly against um, Maori signing this document. And he sort of used that incident of a child dying at the hands of educators, quote unquote, you know, to sort of try to build, um, you know, build build resistance to the signing of the treaty. You know what I mean? Like, look what they're doing to our kids, kind of thing. Um, and that's just like you know one example. But um, from all accounts that I've read, and it's not just the Maori, right? We can talk about Stacy Patton's work in um, oh, what's the name of the book? Um, Spare the Child why, why whoopings won't, um, won't (laughs) save Black America. Yeah, Dr. Stacey Patton. So her, in her book, um, which is sort of like against, against um, spankings and beatings, Mm -hmm. but also against coercive parenting. So she goes there and in the end, it's like an abolitionist text because it's like, you know, for a lot of Black people, it's like, they're like, well, if we beat our kids into submission, then the state doesn't have to do it. And she's like, but that's not working because we're the most over-policed and over-incarcerated culture in the entire world. So those things start matching up that we're beating kids, but they're still beating kids too. So (laughs) they're still beating us and incarcerating us too. So it's not working, right? But she, um, she begins her book by talking about the fact that there's just no evidence whatsoever that anywhere in Africa, amongst any of the cultures that Europeans came and met, that beatings and coercion were a part of how children were, were raised there's no evidence of it her next book is about how in europe so this is like you know sometimes focusing on the monoculture is what well, um is sort of the work we have to do but i think in her next book she's going through all of the forms of violence and coercion amongst children in europe mm-hmm. um at the time of colonization right um that were normal, normal ways of raising children.
0: So oh, let me let me just try this. So when we when I'm talking about consent, I find myself uh, getting really like, uh, like I have to really think rationally about it. I think this is a very like um, uh, European American thing, maybe where like mm-hmm. we don't have it in our culture I wasn't raised knowing consent even was a thing like you know like all the things we just said so Mm -hmm. I have to really rationalize consent like I have to think why it's important I have to break it down into all the elements you know that make rational sense to me um to really understand it it's the same thing with boundaries in a way we have to like uh, really like figure out what is a boundary you know what does it look like how do we uphold it like Mm -hmm really like rationalize it all whereas um um in actual fact maybe it like consent and boundaries and non-coercion and all of these principles in some cultures like other cultures perhaps not all of them but some was more just embedded in the culture so they didn't have mm. to have conversations mm. about consent mm. maybe
1: um hmm I was thinking a lot about that, and actually, like this morning, um, I was reading um, Leanne Simpson, Simpson's Land of Pedagogy. I think I also, you know, brought this up, um, brought this up during your talk when I, you know, made a bunch of comments that I was talking about Leanne Simpson's um, Land as Pedagogy. And I was looking at it again this morning, and I just want to read like a little piece of it that she says. Um, she says to me. Mm, she's talking about an ancestral story about, um, about, about maple. This is the part of Canada that her, her tribe Anishinaabe is um from. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's a, it's a whole allegory about maple and about this girl who learns from observing a squirrel, um, mm-hmm. how to, how to extract, when to extract, um, maple from a tree. And, um, so she tells a story and then she says to me, this is what coming into wisdom with the Mishisaghi Nishnabe epistemology looks like. It takes place in the context of family, community, and relations. It lacks overt coercion and authority, values so normalized within mainstream Western pedagogy that they are rarely ever critiqued. The lands is both context and process. The process of coming to know is learner-led and profoundly spiritual in nature. And then she talked about, like, the mm-hmm. pursuit of whole body intelligence, which is what I think I was getting at when they said, um, when I talked about embodied, yeah, embodied, um, what did I say? Embodied knowledge or embodied literacy? No, mm-hmm. the first one. Embodied, yeah, but both, right? Both, That's you hear that. both in there. Like, both embody, embodied yeah. knowledge and embodied knowledge. And I, I, I want to talk about too.
0: that next. And, I, and I'd love for you to talk about that next. But I just want to yes. say about what you read, what you yes. just read. That, yeah, yeah, I think that's what I was trying to say. That's what you're trying to say, yeah. In in Western culture, it's so normalized that we take, 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 right? And we do, there's no limit. Like, we don't sense the boundary. We have no sense of, you know, and that's why we then have to be, like, upholding boundaries because the other person is not, um, didn't grow up understanding that, the boundary is there
1: if we can just see it and sense it. I don't know yeah. if this makes any sense. It makes absolute sense, and I think that I couldn't have said it better. It's that's exactly it, right? That's the difference between a hmm. So, so one of the other principles that they say sort of uh, uh, unites or is an undercurrent for all indigenous quote unquote what we call indigenous cultures mm-hmm. is um relationship right? Relationship, not just with self, with others, with the planet, um, with the stars, like it, it's, it's about relationality, how those groups relate to each other, you know, across like national cultural, whatever boundaries, like it's relationship, that's what's important. And I think when we talk about building a consent culture, um, it's because we have to counteract, you know, the, the um, uh, trigger warning rape culture the culture of extraction the culture of exploitation that we live in we have to counteract it And so we how we counteract that is by focusing on building a consent culture right whereas indigenous cultures the um the the value is different right the values are on relationship it's relationship first um which is where i see it's sort of dovetailing with unschooling with a lot of what we talk about with unschooling and self-direct like relationship first connection before before correction like you know like all of these kinds of things are sort of mirroring or seeking to mirror um what what many people identify as having already been in you know pre-western societies um i also like to say post-western societies because it's where we're headed right it's what we're it's what we're all it's the goal for all of us to get to those places where um we are using our senses our bodies our our spirituality our relationships to each other as ways of knowing yeah even boundaries right as ways of um being able to read a room being able to navigate um all kinds of relationships with all kinds of beings human Mm -hmm. and non-human um yeah and we need more than just like our brain to be able to do that like that I think, therefore I am. Thing, no, we I I connect, therefore I am. Mm. I relate. You know what I mean? I relate, therefore, like literally, because people, my relations came before me is why I am. Like it's literally what it is. Not just right. not just because I can use that one organ and like right and try to manipulate everything in the world around me.
0: Mm.
1: There, there's there's so much there's so much more. It's about interaction um whereas right now we're in action. um and I'd like to move more towards the form right yeah. uh,
0: Aisha was talking about these things during her um SDE talk she did for the SDE weekend and they came up
1: and I found it
0: really fascinating so we're gonna we're
1: gonna talk about it. Um, yeah um so embodied learning is a term I thought I got from Dr. Lani Myers but um <laughs> um <laughs> So in her essay, um, she is Kanaka Maoli, um, Indigenous Hawaiian, and um, I, I guess about a year ago now I read her essay, "A Liberation on Our Own," of our own, which mm-hmm. is about um, Hawaiian epistem- epistemology. As I said, like ways of knowing, ways of knowing, um, and when we were, so it was in like a, a, a course, a class for my um, masters. And when we were assigned this reading, I just remember being like, you know, texting my my professor and being like, that is a whole unschooling text. Like <laughs> thank you. Even though in the end, um what sh- the 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 conclusion um Dr. Myers comes to is that we need Hawaiian charter schools. And I'm like, no, but, <laughs> but she um, she basically gets um, a group of elders together and, um, and and starts to try and formulate um, um, a Hawaiian curriculum or a, or a native Hawaiian um, epistemology or way of knowing of education, um, of, ed- of educating people in being Hawaiian, right? Native Hawaiian. Um, And she talks about like uh, it being grounded by um, spirituality, of course, that one of the most interesting was um, another way to come at what we talk about as empirical knowledge. I mean, I think this is where I connected it to where in your talk for um, Alliance for Self-Directed Education, you were talking about invisible learning, um, invisible learning, and um, she talks about for native Hawaiians, they have all these um, sort of sayings about different ways of knowing in the body, like in the liver. Um, like, like it's literally like the it's the liver that sort of digests the learning or something like this. And there's like sayings to that um, and how it's really like, um, it's, it's, it's really learning is, is, is mm, ideated as in, embodied, <laughs> like literally in your body. And when you think about it, I mean, even in, you know, Western culture, we have a lot of that, like what's in the gut or um, something, you know, like knowing that's in the gut, right?
0: I have those, huh? those phrases, but actually I, I feel like that it's, we've completely stripped it, stripped all. I don't
1: that. know if we've completely stripped it, are you sure? Because I can literally feel it sometimes in my gut. Well, uh, yeah. What does your gut they tell have, you? No. I think that people say it sort of like they just say it but I think it's actually a thing. I think for a lot of people, it is
0: actually a thing. thing. I think we don't give it uh, enough weight. And certainly growing up, no one was ever like, listen to your gut to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still,
0: sometimes I feel something in my gut and I ignore it. And then now, (laughs) now, (laughs) no, but it's true. And now now I can, I rationalize then. And I'm like, (laughs) wait, you're feeling this. Like, this is the right feeling. You should listen to it. Um, But I've had to- figured that out like exactly like we've completely we've disembodied learning <laughs> like it's just your brain is the thing the rest your of the brain you, is the thing that learning. the rest of you is just a hindrance
1: really <laughs> exactly like- exactly like sit down yeah sit down make your body still so that your mind can take things in and I think this is what Dr. Myers is trying to get out like not just the learning that's in the body but then how that also connects to um I, it's similar to what um leanne simpson's talking about where she talks about the land as pedagogy and how the learning really comes from your environment what plants you're surrounded by your climate as i was saying before that like you know um daylight savings makes no sense to me because as i mean as i sort of re um, um unlearn disembodied learning you know, and plunge myself back into a more embodied way of, um, being and understanding the world. A lot of those things don't make any sense to me. Like at new year's, I feel nothing. Like my body is just like, I don't feel any sense of excitement. I don't feel any sense of renewal. It's just a day that everyone, it feels really surreal that everyone else is celebrating and there's like fireworks in the air. And I'm like, why? I just, there's nothing in me that feels renewal. And, um, that's sort of what Dr. Myers is getting at when she's when she's like um talking about this ocean of knowledge that comes from like our spiritual understanding, our embodied understanding, our body, mind connection, um our relationship, learning about self through other, um which is what I had a more macro experience with um when I was uh, you know in New Zealand and just in different places around the world and sort of just talking to um black and indigenous people from different cultures and being like okay, I learned something about them, but I learned even more about myself (laughs) and how I go through the world or things that I need to unlearn. Like it wasn't even about like collecting experiences with them. It was like, wait a minute, you know, through, through engagement, you Mm -hmm. know, through interaction, through relationship, it was like, oh, I know something new about myself. Um, Yeah. So embodied learning really it's really that. It really it really is about um, decentering the brain as <laughs> as the instrument, the vehicle of learning. Yes, it's there, but it has to work in tandem with everything else and also with um, your environment. So that's where embedded um, environmental literacy in that idea, which is um, the words of Dr. Sophie Strand, who is amazing. If you're not following her, I think she's cosmogony on Instagram. Um, her work is amazing and where she talks about like that you know um, how much learning um, between my husband and I just driving through Costa Rica and watching the um, the the foliage watching the the plants change as we went from one place to another and really just documenting just between each other just in conversation like wow look at what's happening to our landscape as we drive like this kind of um yeah. And being able to read like what's, you know what I mean? Where we're going, what it's going to be like being able to understand, you know, ourselves in a place, understand the place, understand where we belong in that place from what's going on, you know, in the soil. Um, this kind of learning has been, you know, for my kids here in South Florida, um, it's really, we have a, a co-op that we go to a different nature reserve every week. And um, we always sit around the parents, sit table. we should bring in like, this activity to do and that activity to do and meanwhile the kids are using everything around them to um build and ca- like build camps they don't you know to build camps they're trying to find like different ways of opening up a coconut like they are really like you yeah. know embedding themselves at one point we were on um Seminole grounds and they were using these um sticks to build like a fort which is literally what what happened. <laughs> you know, what happened right? like and the Seminoles and the freedmen, you know, would come into Florida because it was the only the only place where there wasn't um there wasn't chattel slavery because it was owned by the Spanish and that was their way of sort of undermining the English and their sort of total dependence on chattel slavery. And so the Spanish, they had, you know, control of La Florida right now. And they were like, well any freedmen or Indians that want to come down, you know, come here and be free. <laughs> Basically, you know yeah i mean this we could talk about the saltwater underground like there's so much going on here Mm -hmm. um that the kids sort of just tapped into and had built themselves this you know um it's called in south america palenque you know like a um um built from sticks a fort you know and um yeah it's just really interesting how they tap into those kinds of things just from engagement with their environment you know and then they took a camera and started making like different stories in different places on the riverbank and like you know making this little and i'm just like why are we inter- interfering with this very embodied learning like this like they're literally tapping into the history of florida right now building yeah. <laughs> and we want to teach them something yeah
0: why could, right? uh, yeah, and, and i think children are born doing that and they yeah. to do that and it's only when we get in the way with schooling and institutional yeah
1: and and i feel like there's a place for that there's a place for explicit teaching and you know especially when they ask for it they're like i want to learn that there's definitely <laughs> there's definitely a place for it um but it's not it's not it, it's understanding the see this is what we were just talking about about that discernment of being able to um sense boundaries um being uh, like consent really coming from interaction, engagement, and the relationship with another person, like, oh, I I know where that that boundary is, and if I don't, and someone tells me that's completely normal, right, like, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I thought I was going to say, but. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I, I agree, and I think. Oh, I think- yeah, I was talking about teaching and learning, sorry, yeah, I was talking about teaching and learning, and as a parent, knowing, um, being able to sense through your interaction, through your knowledge of that person, of that child, when your explicit, you know, instruction may be um, asked for, wanted, necessary, and when not, right? I think for mo- for so many adults, it's like, that's the only way. And it's like, no, it's one of many ways um, of learning and of interacting and of partnering on, you know, education. And it's also up to us to be able to understand those boundaries. You can only do that through relationship
0: yeah no that that's true. and actually, it made me think a little bit about how when you're very in tune with somebody like uh like your children, for example, you don't you don't always have to have a conversations around consent. there's a uh, you can sense you know, like you were saying, you can sense when it's the right yeah. thing for something, and I find that a lot with my son because he there are certain moments when uh, if I asked him to do a thing. I would not get, a. I would get a pretty like forceful no. And then other <laughs> moments when if I asked him to do the exact same thing, he'd be like, yeah. And and I, I, I know what those moments are. So I have like a, a internal sense because of our relationship, because we're close and I know him and we know each other. Like I know when a good time for that is and when yeah. a less good time is. And, and I sometimes find myself, like, I can sense when my husband's going to ask him a thing. And it's not a good time for him to ask that thing. Intervene, intervene, intervene. <laughs> it's like, I, this, this, I'm sensing this isn't a very good time. So, so okay. it's interesting now that you mentioned this. I remember that maybe I,
1: I, I do have a little bit of that. It's not always you have a, yes you have a little bit of that in, in that's embedded environmental literacy also for me it's not just about like reading the clouds and the stars and yeah that's part of it but also it's like reading the relationship reading the room reading the moment um and this knowledge can only as i said come through like relationship right a certain way of interacting with another person that you understand like okay this is the moment this is that you know i think akila richards calls it like um resistance as a roadmap like understanding the roadmap Mm -hmm. right like where how to navigate um and i think these things you know aren't they aren't they aren't separate right it's the same it's literacy yeah yeah it's all it's all literacy
0: so much for listening if you're enjoying this podcast please consider rating reviewing and sharing it's an absolute labor of love for me and uh, I would really love if I could reach more people with it thank you